Welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Swans, and today is Easter Sunday. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. O God, who on this day, through your only begotten Son, have conquered death and unlocked for us the path to eternity, grant, we pray, that we who keep the solemnity of the Lord's resurrection may, through the renewal brought by your Spirit, rise up in the light of life. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, for ever and ever. Amen. A reading from the Acts of the Apostles. Peter addressed Cornelius and his household. You must have heard about the recent happenings in Judea, about Jesus of Nazareth and how he began in Galilee, after John had been preaching baptism. God had anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and because God was with him, Jesus went about doing good and curing all who had fallen into the power of the devil. Now I... And those with me can witness to everything he did throughout the countryside of Judea and in Jerusalem itself, and also to the fact that they killed him by hanging him on a tree. Yet three days afterwards, God raised him to life and allowed him to be seen, not by the whole people, but only by certain witnesses God had chosen beforehand. Now we are those witnesses. We have eaten and drunk with him after his resurrection from the dead. And he has ordered us to proclaim this to his people and to tell them that God has appointed him to judge everyone, alive or dead. It is to him that all the prophets bear this witness, that all who believe in Jesus will have their sins forgiven through his name. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his love has no end. Let the sons of Israel say, his love has no end. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. The Lord's right hand has triumphed. His right hand raised me up. I shall not die. I shall live and recount his deeds. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. The stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the work of the Lord, a marvel in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. A reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Colossians. Since you have been brought back to true life with Christ, you must look for things that are in heaven where Christ is, sitting at God's right hand. Let your thoughts be on heavenly things, not on the things that are on earth, because you have died, and now the life you have is hidden with Christ in God. But when Christ is revealed, and he is your life, you too will be revealed in all your glory with him. The Word of the Lord Thanks be to God. Alleluia, alleluia. Christ has become our paschal sacrifice. Let us feast with joy in the Lord. Alleluia. The Lord be with you. 
and with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. On the first day of the week, at the first sign of dawn, they went to the tomb with the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb, but on entering, discovered that the body of the Lord Jesus was not there. As they stood there, not knowing what to think, two men in brilliant clothes suddenly appeared at their side. Terrified, the women lowered their eyes. But the two men said to them, Why look among the dead for someone who is alive? He's not here. He's risen. Remember what he told you when he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man had to be handed over into the power of sinful men and be crucified and rise again on the third day. And they remembered his words. When the women returned from the tomb, they told this to the eleven and to all the others. The women were Mary of Magdala, Joanna, and Mary the mother of James. The other women with them also told the apostles. But this story of theirs seemed pure nonsense, and they did not believe them. Peter, however, went running to the tomb. He bent down and saw the binding cloths, but nothing else. He then went back home, amazed at what had happened. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So we've arrived at the very centre of the Christian mystery, the very heart of the Gospel. And it's the proclamation of a historical event, a fact. Jesus' tomb is empty because he's risen from the dead. For 2,000 years, the church has not grown tired of declaring this strange, unexpected, incredible event. The three women approach the tomb of Christ early on the Sunday morning, and they discover the stone has been rolled away, and the body is missing. Now, after 2,000 years of history, we start to get the impression that Because the resurrection of Jesus is so familiar to us, it must have been so also for the women finding the empty tomb. But this wasn't expected at all. These were women who were in the depths of grief. And not only that, what they've witnessed must have left them deeply affected, traumatised. They watched their beloved rabbi brutally tortured and Murdered. They find this empty tomb, and what do they do? Well, Luke tells us that they stand there, stupefied, not knowing what to think. I mean, what sort of thing would our minds run to? The grave's been robbed. The body's been stolen. And what a terrible thought for those so grief-stricken. In the face of such tremendous loss, the the presence of the body is, is kind of the last little thing that you can cling to. And you know, in the face of tragic death, not having a body, not having a grave, makes it even harder. 
They were going to the tomb precisely to care for Jesus' body, to complete the burial rites. They're going to make their final goodbyes, a heartfelt, mournful ritual. It wasn't enough that the Lord was wrenched from their presence and brutally killed. Now they're denied the small consolation of burying him. What a confusing and agonizing moment this must have been. Yet there's this beautiful, almost comical scene. The two men dressed in radiant white ask them very simply, Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? How could these poor three understand that question posed to them? Where else would they go looking for Jesus? It's not unreasonable to think that a dead man is in the place where you left him. And yet, here are these two mysterious men basically asking them, Why are you so silly as to come to a tomb to find Jesus of Nazareth? Peter goes running. And, you know, we hear in uh, John's Gospel that the, the disciple that Jesus loved, the one who's a little bit younger, the one who's a little bit faster, goes running with him. And these two apostles don't understand what's going on either. Were they expecting a resurrection from the dead? That's absurd. So it seems they too make the same mistake that the three women make before them. They go looking for Jesus among the dead. Where did they run to? They ran to the tomb. And what they discover is something very curious. If the grave indeed had been robbed and the body taken away, why did these people bother to unwrap the body from its shroud? Surely, if you're trying to sneak past the two Roman guards keeping watch at the tomb, you wouldn't waste time removing the burial clothes. And given that, why on earth was the shroud covering the head neatly rolled up and placed in a different spot in the tomb? The nonchalance of the two mysterious men hides the fact that this is a truly unbelievable, unexpected moment in human history. And the confusion of the three women and the two apostles... I reckon it's pretty understandable. But it's precisely the surprising reality of Christ's resurrection from the dead that drives the church's proclamation of this remarkable event. Just listen to how boldly Peter preaches the resurrection of Christ in the first reading. Now I and those with me can witness to everything he did throughout the countryside of Judea and in Jerusalem itself, and also to the fact that they killed him by hanging him on a tree. Yet three days afterwards, God raised him to life and allowed him to be seen. Now, we are those witnesses. It was being witnesses to this event that flung the apostles all throughout the world They never tired of telling everyone about it. And generations of missionaries have done the same on the basis of the evidence of these apostles. Now, that's all good and well. We can certainly be glad that this amazing event happened to Jesus because, after all, he went through a terrible ordeal and isn't it great that Pontius Pilate didn't finally have his way? 
I can be happy for Jesus, but, you know, what does this really have to do with me? Why does this have any greater significance than any other amazing events of history? Well, the reason why is because my life depends on this moment. In the second reading today, we hear St. Paul write to the Colossians, You have been brought back to true life with Christ. By means of our baptism, we're inserted into the very mystery of what is happening to Jesus, so that the resurrection becomes something of interest to me, not simply because it happened to Jesus 2,000 years ago, but because I too am brought back to true life with Christ. In the light of the resurrection, it becomes clear what God was doing all along. We see the only begotten Son of God taking human flesh from the Virgin Mary. God himself, the immortal, the invisible one, takes on our humanity and becomes visible and mortal. The Son of God parachutes into the world and he shares our humanity. He shares our joys, our sorrows, our struggles, our pains, and ultimately, Jesus shares in our death. And there's certainly no question that at the hands of the Romans, Jesus is dead. Execution was something they had down to a fine art and they didn't make mistakes. Jesus enters into human death and he's laid in a tomb. And there's an interesting little detail that the gospel writers add, and that's that the tomb in which Jesus is laid is a borrowed tomb. It doesn't belong to Jesus. No, in fact, the tomb belongs to us. It's our tomb. Jesus is laid in our tomb, and up until this point, the tomb was indeed for us a final resting place. The finality of death meant that the tomb was indeed the prison cell out of which none of us would ever escape. But that Easter Sunday morning, as the three women forlornly walked toward the tomb in which Jesus was laid, they see the staggering revelation that there's been a prison break. The stone is rolled away. And the alarm is sounding. Why go to a tomb to look for someone who's alive? Why go to a prison for someone who is free? Jesus, who has shared in my humanity and yours, who has entered into our very death and into our own tomb, has now burst forth from it. Jesus is like the great spy who infiltrates human history. He goes behind enemy lines into death and sets the ticking time bomb which will blow the hinges off the grave. And so I've got a personal stake in what happened in Jerusalem nearly 2,000 years ago because since Christ shared in my humanity, now it's possible to share with him 
his divinity. By means of the sacrament of baptism, Jesus now shares with us his victory over death. And now the promise of eternal life is made to me and to you. Easter Sunday isn't simply an interesting historical event. It's the central event of all history. It's the event that needs to be proclaimed to anyone who hasn't heard it yet, and it needs to be celebrated, not only every Easter, but indeed every Sunday. Because every Sunday is a little Easter. Jesus Christ has conquered for us that which was unconquerable. We who inevitably succumb to death are suddenly made victorious, and our lives are now lived because of him and for him. So, as St. Paul writes to the Colossians in the second reading today, when Christ is revealed and he is your life, you too will be revealed in all your glory with him. Thanks for praying with us. And may God bless you abundantly, so that this day may give glory to God the Father.